Okay. All right. We only got about 20 minutes together um, before we go to the show that has talent in it. Um, what, if you've never been here before, what you don't realize is one of the best components of the talent show is the host of the talent show, uh, who you just heard speak. Uh, he, he is the best act of the entire night. You, you don't, you don't want to miss what, what he's going to do. He's not scheduled for anything, but it won't, it won't stop him. Uh, let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much again for the opportunity you've given us to be generous, whether it is to Mission Eurasia, whether it is to Gold Lake Ministries, and of course, our local churches. Uh, Lord, we, we know that where our team goes, relationship grows, and money is one component, just one component of that, because um, our heart follows our money many times, and money many times starts to invest our heart in something. And so we know that generosity is a part of your story, and so we want it to be a part of our story as we follow after you. Uh, we trust in you and your provision. We're grateful for what you've given us, and we're grateful for the opportunity we have uh, to share that, whether it's in our church families or whether it's with amazing organizations like this. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. Be with us now, please. We invite you in a special way. Um, as I've said before, God, you, you know, I, I always want to make sure I'm giving you permission, which sounds really silly, but that's what my heart needs. I'm giving you permission, Lord, to convict me, to interrupt me, to do whatever you want to do on me, please, and each person here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yay! Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, okay, so uh, this is the last session. I'm not going to be able to cover a ton, but I, I felt like I needed to say something first. And uh, as I was preparing for this week and all the different things we were going to be covering, I knew that this was going to be a challenging topic because we're in a challenging season in our culture. And as you continue to read the rest of the story, it's not like it's going to get any less messy um, before the end. And so you and I, we are born and made and live in a time such as this, to lead and love, to follow after Christ um, the best we possibly can. And so uh, this is what I appreciate about this week. I appreciate that those of you who maybe haven't agreed with me on some things, that you've come up to me in the way of Jesus and started a dialogue. You haven't let awkwardness prevent relationship and dialogue. And I just want to say, well done. Um, thank you for that. I felt like that is truly loving and kind and part of the way of Jesus. Uh, really, asking questions, dialoguing with each other without raising voices or being harsh or all that stuff. Like, way to not let, if there's any fear in that, I'm just, I'm just proud of everybody. Un unfortunately, we don't always see that from our Christian brothers and sisters, the engaging of dialogue in a healthy way. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, of course, others of you have come up and uh, we've had other discussions your, your heart has been breaking over um, 
a choice or choices that your son is making or your grandson or granddaughter is making and you don't know what to do about it and your heart is breaking for them and we've walked through some of that. And I get it. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful that they have you in their life and continue to, as we talked about, continue to contend for the faith, which starts with this relationship with God, abiding in, locked in on Him. And so anyway, I'm just, I'm just really proud of y'all. Um, well done. You, you've dove in. I don't think anyone's fallen asleep, which I'm so thankful for. Um, but really, I know this has not always been easy. Uh, I, I totally get that. And I just appreciate you, you wrestling, wrestling with it. Um, as I started the very, you know, early on in the week, letting Scripture, as you read Scripture, let it read us. And uh, just well done. Good, good job. I know this conversation's not done when I stop today. Hopefully it continues on um, between you and God and those around you, on and on and on. Okay? Um, with that being said, we're just going to talk a little bit more broadly about uh, the Holy Spirit's work in the early church. Yes, the book of Acts, also lots of things in the epistles, um, but it is a way, the social dilemma process that we've talked about, it is, a, it is another lens as you study the Scriptures, as you're reading the same story that you've read a hundred times, this is another way to look at it and go, hmm, okay, Scripture's like a diamond, so many different faces and facets, it's all the same thing, it's all beautiful, but okay, how is this social dilemma being navigated in this story? Huh, is it? Is it the way that we've talked about? Is, it, is there something different about it? For instance, uh, some of, of us, uh, we've had a discussion about Matthew 18 and church discipline, that very famous chapter about um, crucial conversations within the church. And uh, someone came up to me and talked about how uh, he had never seen the amount of personal relationship that's involved in that process. You go to someone directly, one-on-one. If that doesn't work, you bring someone else with you. But it's a relational context. And then, yes, if, if it's still not working, there is a respect moment of, okay, you're out, the, you're out of the church. You're, you're not, but there's still some grace and mercy involved, even with the kindness of that once they're out. So, just, again, these are, these are new ways, perhaps, of viewing some familiar stories that might be helpful. Um, so, again, a, another one that was brought up to me that I thought was worth mentioning. In, in Galatians 2, we have this uh, <laughs> Paul and Peter dispute where Paul is talking about how he had to face off against Peter a bit. Peter is being, uh, acting uh, a bit of uh, picking favorites, and Paul, you know, called him out, challenged him as a family member, challenged him, right, in that process. But that was not the end of their relationship. As we'll see, I mean, there's the Jerusalem council, there are these other moments, but there was a, there was a time of challenging there, and it was okay, family to family. It was great. Okay, um, let's just continue on uh, through the book of Acts here. And I'm just going to hit a couple, a couple key points as we go along. So, uh, let's just go to, for instance, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Peter and John going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, a man lame from birth was being carried. 
whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him. It is fascinating, even on the looking at the individual, just like Jesus looked upon the rich young ruler. I'm telling you, ever since I've studied some of the, the context of that gaze, I can't help but, but notice every time Scripture says, and they looked at him, and he looked at him, or she looked at him. There, there is something sacred about eye-to-eye contact. There just is. You've seen it in your kids when they refuse to make eye contact. Like, you are hiding something. I know you are. Look at me. Look. I mean, you know it, right? So, again, direct his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. His hope was in some sort of material possession, Right? But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So again, here's a moment where we can assume a level of stranger here. And provision, this is where it gets a little bit tricky, provision isn't always what the person thinks they need. It's not always what the person thinks they need. Provision is what God has given you to give to them and what they truly need. And in this case, it was healing. It was healing, and then that healing led to a walking and a leaping and a praising God, and it led to a witness opportunity, right? Witness being part of the strategy of God here. In fact, it's fascinating, even as they are choosing the uh, person to replace Judas, this is back in chapter 1, verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, talking about Jesus, and one of these men must become with us a witness. Again, the purpose from the beginning has been, has been a witness. We talked about that a few sessions ago. So there's a witness opportunity even in healing uh, the lame beggar, provided for what he truly needed, not just what he thought he needed. Um, Sometimes people believe they need you to agree with them. They need to agree. They They just need agreement or else you clearly don't love them. We talked about this at the ABCs and defining love, and love is not agreeing necessarily all the time. They think they need agreement. Um, what, what people generally, truly need is someone to walk alongside them, to listen, have relationship with them, many times. Uh, moving over to Acts chapter 4, now we have Peter, John, Peter and John in front of the council. This would be a group of people who claim to be a part of the family right? And the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So this is pretty direct evidence. The Holy Spirit is guiding what is coming out of Peter. And he talks about 
the good deed done to the crippled man that we just heard about, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This was a direct challenge. Like this is, all, I mean, this is a direct challenge to the family. Very bold. In fact, their boldness surprised them. And they didn't know what to do about that. So they just said, hey, don't ever speak about this again. And, of course, they had the famous response of, who are we going to obey, you or, or God, right? Are we going to obey man or God? And so you see these interactions with strangers. You see this interaction with someone who claims to be the family. There is a contextualization. There's a, there's a difference in the way that they spoke, and yet it was still in smaller settings, one-on-one, two-on-one. Yeah, the council was listening, but, but there was a direct interaction with the person. And then, oh, here's a, here's a great one. Um, sorry, that sounds harsh. Uh, here's a good example. It's not a great situation. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. Um, I've, I've been asked the question, again, how do you sometimes engage difficult conversations? And I mentioned it earlier. Many times in that ABC's process, the A can, can kind of stand for yes, affirmation, but also ask questions. Many times the first step is asking questions. And here we go. A man named Ananias, his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Question. It's a question. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Question. And after it was sold, was it not at your own disposal? Question. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Question. You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So not only is this a family conversation of challenge, started with some questions, but notice again, one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit's work throughout the book of Acts is God is still the one that does the punishing. God is still the one who dishes out the consequences. It's his guidance that deals out consequences. Peter had some experience with the sword. I don't know if he was going for an ear. Maybe just a bad aim. But he has some experience with that. He did not take it upon himself to be the avenger. God is our avenger, Paul talks about. So we see what the Holy Spirit is doing here. And then uh, in in the book of Acts chapter 9, this conversion of Saul to Paul, you have Saul representing the ways of the world, persecution, dragging people out, 
putting them in bondage, just, just this power control, right? Putting them in chains, the way of the world. And then he's confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus with a question. Why are you persecuting me, Paul or Saul? And notice even in um, this whole situation with Saul to Paul, Ananias, different Ananias, Ananias uh, was called into a challenging situation by God. Hey, I'm going to bring Saul to you. Yeah, the one who like, likes to kill people. Uh, I'm bringing him to you, and I want you to help him. God is big enough to work on everyone in every situation. He is challenging the family, challenging the family. And so we can, again, there's so much in this, um, how Paul talks to the Jews. So much of what happens in the first, the first stints of both Peter's journey. So Acts is, is, is parallelism between Peter's journey and, and Saul's journey, right? You see, you see Peter save a life. You see Paul save a life. You see uh, Peter heal somebody. You see Paul heal somebody. There, there's a lot of uh, intentionality on Saul coming alongside with the same sort of like apostleship as Peter, though it's apostle to the Gentiles, not to the Jews, but even in that, there's a sense of equality. Apostleship to the Gentiles is of the same stature as Peter, apostleship to the Jews. Okay, so there's, there's an overall narrative in Acts of the equal importance of Jews and Gentiles, okay, by how Saul is treated and how Peter is treated. But you have even how Paul talks to the Jews in chapter 13, verses, starting with verse uh, 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Notice who's doing the reviling. Notice who is stirring up the crowd. You actually never see Jesus nor the disciples of Jesus ever stir up the crowd. The stirring up of the crowd... Is, is never associated with the way of Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, as many were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up, there's that word again, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of their district. But, we've seen this before, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. You once again have a direct parallelism with how Jesus trained his own disciples, two by two. That in the midst of persecution, there was not a stirring up of the crowd retaliation. There was a respect in leaving. Now, they were a witness to the truth the whole time. 
they, they provided the spiritual food and nourishment that they needed. But eventually, they were not wanted, and they moved on. Oh my gosh, it's 814. Ah! Okay, uh, one of my favorite stories. Oh my goodness. This whole message was supposed to be about Acts 16 and 17. I haven't even gotten there. Okay, so, okay, yeah, okay, thanks. Um, so, Acts 16, Acts 16 is a, is a fascinating story, story with the social dilemma process because you have Paul imprisoned, and instead of being angry and mad about it necessarily, he is singing hymns because when you are pressed down, when you are in crisis, whatever is in you at the core will come out. It will come out, and it might be really ugly. Or it might be really beautiful. And you don't quite know until you're pressed to that level. And here's Paul, and what's in there are hymns, <laughs> songs of rejoicing, which he had to have minded in the first place to be reminded of them when it was time, right? He had to put it in in order for it to come out. And here he is in shackles, in chains, jailer, probably not the most kind person, okay? And then. All of a sudden, the shackles are off, he's freed, the jailer who caused so much pain and represents a culture causing so much persecution and pain to Paul, is about to kill himself, and Paul says, no, that's actually not my goal. My goal is not revenge, my goal is not to retaliate, my goal I know who I am. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. You're a Gentile. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt what my goal is. I need to introduce you to truth, the person. And so I'm going to have a, a sit-down conversation with you right now about what it means to be saved. And the jailer is open to it. The jailer made a decision. His whole household was baptized, Right? Peter had a similar situation with Cornelius. Again, this parallel tracks. He had the situation with Cornelius back in Acts chapter 10 with the visions of the food and what's unclean and all that. And he went to Cornelius' house, a stranger, and yet took in the message and his whole family was baptized. So there is, there is clearly a focus about relationship and goal above just what is right and wrong. And we continue to see that as the Holy Spirit works throughout the New Testament. Um, Paul to the Greeks. I mean, we had Epicureanism, which is a form of hedonism. Again, kind of like sensuality, kind of like the Libertines. You have the Stoics. Um, it's all about virtue. It's all about some moral right and wrong standing. Um, don't overindulge, all, all this other stuff, but not the way of Jesus. And he's talking to these individuals, and he's sharing with them, and some of them believe, some of them laugh him off, and some of them want to know more. And it seems like that's a completely successful situation. Some people are going to laugh it off or walk away. Some people are going to believe, and some people will ask more questions. And so, again, I'm not going to get into it right now too much, but what you see in Acts 17, and then also all the times with Paul, Paul has so many one-on-one -on -one conversations with King Agrippa and all these other people. You see all these relational contacts 
where he is not holding back who Jesus is at all, but he's doing it in a relational context. That we can expect following this social dilemma process that we see modeled by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we can expect that some people will turn. They will repent or they will be challenged in a good way because they're already part of the family and then God's going to empower them to take steps forward. There are going to be some people that are strangers and they're going to hear it and they're going to turn and they're going to be like, oh, praise God, thank you for helping me with this. And there are going to be some who won't. Um, I, I told someone this, I forget who it was, maybe I already said this, I'm not sure. One of the hardest things about this entire process for me is I've had to become way better at walking away from people who just don't want it. But I've also introduced myself uh, before to people. I'm saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a conservative evangelical in the Wesleyan tradition, and I'm not angry about it. I refuse to be angry. I've had so many people in our church come up to me. We have a lot of strangers, according to Jesus' definition, come up to me, and they've actually said to me, they're like, why are Christians so angry? I've even had one say, in that book of yours, isn't there something about anger leading, like the devil, foothold, something, climbing, mountain climbing, something. There's something. And so, there is so much to wrestle with with all these topics, and I get that. There are ways in which we were brought up. For some of us, we weren't brought up in any of this. We didn't know the Bible until three years ago. I, I get all that. I'm hoping that this week has at least equipped us to have further conversation with God. God, what do I do with this? Is there someone in my impact circle, those two or three people I see, I see two or three times a week, that, that are they family, are they strangers? God, what's my next step when I think about the goal of relationship and, and how my witness, how I'm just talking about my experience of you, not shoving that necessarily down their throats, but I'm just, I'm just sharing about my experience of you. God, is there something that you want to equip me with more as I'm in these situations, and you will be in countless more of these situations in the years to come. Um, and so I, I just want to close with praying for all of us. God, uh, I do just ask that you continue to work on us. Continue your sanctifying work. None of us have arrived. We're all arriving and you're leading and we're following. And so, Lord, if there is any conviction, any gentle reminder of what's true, conviction's not always bad. It's just a gentle reminder of, hell, what are you doing over there? Come on, come back over here. God, we, we, gratitude and humility is the proper posture in your presence. And so, we are thankful for your wisdom. Is there anything you want to share with us right now from what we've heard this week that is just a helpful step? Maybe it's a particular person we need to have a conversation with. Maybe it's asking someone to forgive us for a way that we've treated them. 
Maybe God is asking you for forgiveness for what we've maybe never spoken out loud, but boy, we feel in our heart the judgment, the speck that we just can't help but see in someone else's eye. And God, maybe it's we just need your grace to wash over us. God, maybe it's, a, it's an unsettledness in our spirit that we're not sure if we agree with this completely and, and we just need to keep diving in more. Not to confirm any sort of bias, but just to grow in relationship with you. God, you, you may have more to show us and so God, help us take a step to get closer to you and to continue to wrestle with this. What do we do in these situations or these situations? God, the, the more we wrestle with you, I, I really believe we are staying close to you. It's always a good place to be. And so God, I do ask whatever people have felt, whatever they have thought, whatever they have agreed with or disagreed with, Lord, I pray that your salvation, Jesus, what you have done for us, will somehow unify your people, unify your church as you pray, Jesus. I know we're going to disagree with each other on certain things. I know there's going to be messiness. God, I pray that our relationship with you grounds us and unifies us, that we might be a witness of you, please, and what you are doing, and that that may be how people see us. We love you. We trust you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being close, always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.